Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. On today's broadcast, I've asked Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, to browse with me through the magazine's official website to discover topics of interest, stories and insights that we need to examine as we work to maintain our religious freedoms. The evil one is determined to undermine our ability to worship God as we feel we must, and as the saying goes, forewarned is forearmed. Lincoln, I always enjoy digging around www.libertymagazine.org and have found Good place some, to be. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and have found some discussion topics that I feel would be of interest to our listeners. I'd like to hear your take on some of these matters. Let's begin with this one. We've talked about it before. Hosanna Tabor. The Supreme Court case. Yeah. Perhaps some of our listeners think, well, Supreme Court cases are pretty esoteric. I don't need to worry <laughs> about those. Just be aware that the President of the United States worries plenty about it. He certainly them. does. <laughs> re- remember, at his last State of the Union, he railed on against a Supreme Court case that treated for the first time, corporations as individuals, and that's had huge ramifications on the election process. Uh, So when the Supreme Court makes a decision on something that affects religious liberty, it's more than just a theoretical sort of a ivory tower thing. There there are ramifications. And we've been watching for some time the case known as Hosanna Tabor. There have been two articles in Liberty Magazine on our website, www.libertymagazine.org, And we've got another one coming up because we want a postscript on the case, which just was discussed in November Mm -hmm. or December, rather, and the decision was just brought down a few days ago. It could have gone very badly because what was at stake was really the whole relationship of churches to the state and the exemptions and and, uh, deferrals the state made to religion. Basically, it it centered around what is known as the ministerial exemption or exception, not just ministers themselves, but the church structure, its employees, ministers, teachers, all those concerned about advancing the work of the church have been given a wide legal berth by the government, recognizing that to interfere is to essentially risk directing how a church goes about promoting its, its doctrinal viewpoint. At the edges, though, that can mean, as Hosanna Tabor case, which involved a teacher in a Lutheran school, it can mean that from her perspective, she was fired because of a disability problem, which is prohibited under employment laws. Right. And from the, uh, the school's perspective, it related to her effectiveness advancing the Lutheran teaching program and that they were within their rights to to order that according to a church structure, to let it go and not to have to give a reason. That's basically what it devolves to for the church. And she challenged that. And and I actually thought there was a good chance that the Supreme Court would narrow it, not give away the whole exception, because there's some considerable respect for the role of religion, but I thought they would nibble around the edges of employment for people like this teacher, Cheryl Peach, who are hardly involved with religion, but in a religious school environment. They might require the church to to adhere very rigorously to all these uh, non-discrimination requirements. But the Supreme Court, in an absolutely unanimous decision, which is rare, affirmed the ministerial exception. How about that? 
So from this perspective, things are safe. I'm inclined to think myself that it just puts off to another day Mm -hmm. an increasing public frustration with some elements of church governance, most particularly the church of six of the nine justices, the Roman Catholic Church. (laughs) The Roman Catholic Church is not all wrong, and, you know, bad things happen within the the human structure of all churches. Mm -hmm. But there's a continuing pattern of obfuscation, to use a complicated word. It doesn't appear to most people, to the media and, and a lot of commentators, that the Roman Catholic Church has accepted administrative responsibility for the ongoing sexual scandal. Mm-hmm. That, that by and large they use the exemption or the exception to hide behind and, and not be forthcoming. And so uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a few years down the line this is revisited. But for now, they signed off on it very nicely. So that means what? Give it to us in a practical way uh, with Hosanna Tabor. What does that mean for the the plaintiff, and what does that mean for the organization? Well, it means that the woman uh, is not employed anymore. They they are upheld in their right to dismiss her, Mm -hmm. essentially without reason, but the reason that they give is that uh, her services is not compatible with the spiritual aims of of, of educating young people in a Lutheran church school. Okay. Well, that's that's good news for Seventh-day Adventist churches as well, right? Right. And, and, and it makes a church less vulnerable right. to disaffected teachers or, or someone else trying to sue the church, saying yeah. that they were uh, treated prejudicially. They may have been, but yes. the, the state sees that, that in the church context, the church has the right to, to uh, administer its spiritual direction. And yes, it may uh, uh, treat some people as word Adventists don't use, but heretics or doctrinal dissidents, but that's not for the state. The state is not competent nor authorized to get into those matters. That's that's basically the way they yeah, see they're not, it. They're not supposed to get into that. They keep them separated. All right, very good. Okay, uh, another case, uh, or I should say another challenge that we are facing today was brought up in a discussion on www.libertymagazine.org. And the question was asked, how involved should the United States be in issues of international religious freedom? I mean, are we, the, are we the, the spiritual police of the world, I guess is what we're trying to say here. Well, the U.S. has been very involved from the beginning. And I think it's, it's because, uh, while the U.S. has never been perfect uh, as a human instrumentality, mm-hmm. I mean, the government, mm-hmm. and is not improving. <laughs> uh, there, <laughs> there are many little uh, multiplying uh, areas of concern. But I, I think the Constitution, so very specifically laid out, religious freedom and, and, and a dynamic that's been described as the separation of church and state, that has put the United States in a very uh, good position to to discuss and even expect other uh, countries to, to model after this. Wait a minute, Lincoln. I, I've lived in other countries before, and uh, in, in Muslim countries, and I can see why Muslims and, and uh, other religious factions would have kind of a jaundiced eye toward America, who's trying to come in not only to take the resources of the country, but take the spiritual foundation. Because you have said in this program that the spiritual life of people in many countries is their national life, is their civil life. There's no right. separation between two of them. So you're saying America can come in and say, not only are you wrong spiritually, you're also wrong as who you are and what you represent as a, as a nation. Well, yeah, you're steering me nicely, but that's why I was <laughs> quibbling on it, <laughs> saying that the U.S. is not always perfect in its practical application. 
but it feels since it's had this model that it can talk to other countries. But yes, increasingly, I think there's there's a not just a perception, there's a reality of double standards here. Well, yeah, and and this is why it's doubly important that the United States adhere to a true principle of religious liberty, not religious tolerance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is some serious problem, it seems to me, with the U.S. Uh, strong-arming any number of other countries on matters of religious uh, tolerance and, and, and practice and so on. Even as well, we put drones in the air. If people well, don't agree with us. Yeah, you're more contemporary. I was going to say, even as we twist thumbs in Abu Ghraib and, yeah. and, and urinate on, on on other people. Yeah. You know, when it suited the authorities, they made a big hoopla that Bin Laden's body was treated uh, respectfully and buried with with honors. But uh, that's countermanded pretty easily well, yeah. by this this thing in Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, so no, the U.S. needs to be careful. It's but it's in an in an interesting role. I mean, it's. It's, it's military and, and financial dominance till now mm-hmm. has given it an easy uh, uh, sense of entitlement to talk about religion. But I'm giving them the benefit that there is something fairly unique about the way that the Constitution expresses the goal of religious freedom and the separation of church and state, which is, is quite different. There are many countries that insert some nice language about religious freedom, mm-hmm. even as they don't practice it. But there's mm-hmm. not too many that actually specifically state church and state are to be separate. I know Australia has that too, but it was modeled after the American Constitution. But not too many try to consciously put a a, a legal cleaver between the prerogatives and the power of the state and those of the church. I just... I guess I'm saying we just should be very careful as a nation. Absolutely. Well, I think we should be very careful, and I think the U.S. is is, is seriously into the level of hypocrisy at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, well, good. We agree on that. That's, that's, that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> and let me even explain. Hillary Clinton, not too long ago, and, and by and large, I think she's very competent, and we know that she understands religious freedom. She mm-hmm. spoke admirably to one of our religious liberty dinners one year, so uh, about five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when she went to China, anxious to, to mend bridges or mend the situation with China and continue trade and so on, and, of course, they're our largest uh, holder of U.S. debt, I think, mm-hmm. she actually said openly that uh, issues of religious freedom and of, and of civil liberties were important, but that they were on the back burner at the time because they're mostly concerned about trade. Yeah. Well, you know, you can't afford... Well, on religious liberty, to set it aside for any other reason. It's either important or it's not. And you have to signal that this is not going to go away, that your commitment to religious freedom is is unaffected by uh, opposition, basically, because that, that's what we're withholding her. China was growling and grumbling that, and saying the U.S. needed us because they've become the linchpin of the world economy. Mm-hmm. Well... Yeah, I think that America has every right to to model uh, what we believe for religious freedom. And I believe that we have every right to withhold purchases uh, from countries. If, if, you, if you're going to do that to people, then we're not going to buy your goods. That, that's okay. But it's when we, st- we start rattling sabers about these things that it gets me really concerned. Absolutely. It doesn't, it doesn't go well. And, and, and where I would like to focus on... The, the U.S. efforts to project our values often with, you know, the, the, the battleship cruising yes, offshore yes, yes. Uh, create bad reactions. But yes. what I think will be the most dangerous, and we're slightly into it, 
is when the U.S. turns its back on some of these uh, great principles by lowballing them and acting differently mm -hmm. within the country, mm -hmm. that will pervert religious freedom around the world. I think it's functioning as a model even when it doesn't understand that or when it's not trying to project that model. People look at the U.S., and so for a very narrow religious viewpoint to gain ascendancy here, I think it will rapidly accelerate uh, bad tendencies in the rest of the world. During the spring and summer seasons in the country of Kyrgyzstan, many people grow the necessary foods that keep them alive. But when winter comes, all growing stops, unless they have a greenhouse. Thanks to Adra and you, families can grow food year-round in greenhouses provided by your generosity. These families also receive education in healthy nutrition, agriculture, and marketing. Your gift just keeps on giving. This is just one of many opportunities offered to you in this year's edition of the Adventist Development and Relief Agency International's The Original Really Useful Gift Catalog. To find out more, visit www.adra.org. That's www.adra.org. Or call 1-800-424-ADRA. That's 1-800-424-2372. This is your chance to select the perfect gift for that special someone who has nothing. Thank you. We're talking with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Our program today is called From the Front Lines, and we're talking about some of the issues that are being faced by many. There's a, uh, a book that Seventh Avenue are well aware of, Great Controversy, written by Ellen White, mm -hmm. who was, uh, the history books will say she was a visionary yes. uh, of the early Adventist days in the middle 1800s. She, she had what? were seen as visions, and she said that, that they came from heaven. Mm -hmm. They uh, have been typically tested against biblical truth, and, and they're quite consistent. And her whole point was that she was re-emphasizing usually the prophetic outlines that, mm -hmm. that Adventists were studying in Daniel and Revelation. Uh, but picking up on Revelation 14, she, she said that the United States will be foremost uh, at the very end of time in, in compelling to religious observance, mm. which is a, a denial of its, oh, of its religious pluralism. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she does make the point that once the U.S. does this, that pretty much the whole world of will course. follow this model. So that's what I was alluding to earlier. Mm. I think you can logically deduce that anyhow, but, but she says it specifically uh, under, under inspiration that we will see this perhaps in our lifetime, but certainly in our era, because mm -hmm. we are in the, in the model, modern era where, where uh, everything is coming to a crisis, yes, or not is. a crisis, it's coming to its head. Yes. Modernization is, is rapidly advancing to who knows what. You know, George Orwell thought he had it right in 1984, but, <laughs> but, but this is the brave new world, to, you, to quote Aldous Huxley. <laughs> Sometimes so, uh, it doesn't seem so brave, I have to, I have to say no, that. No, yeah. but, but uh, I, th I think... Even a person uninterested in religion can recognize that the dynamic of, of progress in the world has sped up so much that 
you could reasonably expect in a lifetime to see all things come to their fruition mm. and and uh, you know the, the the developments in the middle east with the arab spring has shown how quickly yeah. you know once one country erupted it's like the dominoes fell it did. It did. within yeah. months and weeks yeah. where where in in my uh, youth a war was fought in Vietnam to stop the dominoes that had already taken some years, and they never quite fell the way mm-hmm. the planners thought. But it was slow. It was a decades-long thing, even mm-hmm. if it was happening, as they said. But now it can be within a, a news cycle. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's true. And, 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 of course, electronics and the surveillance uh, era that we're in, all of these things are just accelerating the processes of history, which are really, if you analyze history, it's social mm-hmm. movements. Mm-hmm. It's, it's people talking about something, changing their minds, acting on it. That dynamic has sped up many, many times over previous ages. Okay, libertymagazine.org is the website, and another issue that's being discussed right now on that website is uh, this idea of burqas, and the question is asked, are burqa bans oppressive to religious freedom or a defense of the rights and dignity of women. Now, we, we need to have a little history here of what a burqa is. Well, you know, uh, many people now, even in the West, have become more used to seeing uh, Muslim women in, in typical dress. But there's, it's not the one dress. It is pretty much uniform that any observant Muslim, the woman will have her head covered. That's a hijab, just a, a scarf sometimes. But the more extreme fundamentalist practitioners of Islam will, will have a burqa, which is a head-to-toe covering yes. with sometimes uh, the merest suggestion of a gauzy see-through over the eyes. Mm. So essentially, this is sort of a piece of dress usually. Yeah, but it's Basically like a, a walking r- tent is what it is. Yes, yeah. a walking tent. And there are some practical problems with that in, in, in Afghanistan and Iraq. Men have put on burqas and tucked a, a load of bombs with yeah. them under this thing and, and gotten up to some big trouble. Yeah. I think the, the objection in the West is twofold. There's the suspicion of another religion, but there's also the, the horror that here is a, uh, a subterfuge, mm-hmm. that there's menace beneath it. Yeah, and also we need to say that the burqa is designed to keep women completely covered so there are no temptation to men. I think that's what that's why they came into being, that they're supposed to... They, this, this had to have been created by men. I'm sorry. The burqa had to be created by men to protect themselves. Women I'll, are I'll not indulge, gonna... I'll indulge myself on this radio program. <laughs> you think you know, women is... are designing burqas No, no, no. I'm going to make a statement. Okay, Islam has, has a perfect right to exist. Yes. You can believe in... You can worship the great pumpkin yes. as far as religious liberty allows you. Yes. But one wonders, you, you gave that outline, which is what this said, but Islam is the religion that allows uh, at least four wives. That's, this is true. So, this is so, true. So There's the an inconsistency has, here. The, the burqa has not uh, tampered <laughs> down the... <laughs> may, it's even possible that it's increased the... Right. the Curiosity the, the, uh, and all that stuff. The, the, yes. the, the yearning. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I think you're but, right. But, but yes, ostensibly it was done from a point of modesty and... Mm-hmm. and uh, we have to understand that it's 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 a fairly extreme application yes. of a principle that was adapted there, and it's not a doctrinal requirement. It's really a, a cultural yeah. addendum to Islamic practice. And they have every right to do that. There's nothing wrong with someone Absolutely. doing that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. So uh, I don't think it's good, and Liberty Magazine will never endorse any country passing a blanket ban on wearing such religious mm-hmm. uh, garb. And, and, and you know, we've heard many... Uh, uh, articles over the years, not just about burqas, but all sorts of religious garb. There's the uh, the, uh, the the turban of the Sikhs, 
and the the skull cap of the Jews, which is not as common. But you know, there were there were uh, there there've been issues about people working in food service and how their heads should be covered and yeah. what should not be on there. You know, there's many variations on this. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we need to defend the right of people to have religious dress if necessary. Where it gets sort of strange, and there's not an easy answer, but I think it's obvious to people in the West that there's a problem, is, for example, driver's licenses. Mm -hmm. A license is not just an intrusion. It's an identification. It has uh, connections to uh, tracking criminals and so on. And, mm -hmm. and it seems reasonable that even a woman wearing a burqa should uh, have a driver's license that shows her face. Uh, there was, and, and I think I mentioned mm, it on this program, yes, but yes, it's, yes, it's yes. relevant here. When I was in yes, Australia, yes. Uh, I saw on television the strangest case. Uh, a policeman stopped a, a, a Muslim woman. It appeared she, she was an, an Australian national that had converted to Islam, mm -hmm. but he stopped her for speeding, mm -hmm. and she was wearing a full burqa. Mm -hmm. And she objected to him even stopping her and started swearing and cursing at him, which I'm not really sure is inherently Islamic. <laughs> okay. So uh, I've got to give them that that benefit. <laughs> but it was, it was the, the policeman had the camera on when he when he made the apprehension. It was yeah. shown on uh, on TV, yeah. and he comes over very nicely and says, "You were spe uh, speeding, madam," and he says, uh, "Show me your license, and show me your face," and she would not, and with mo much profanity took off after him and claimed that it was police harassment and all the rest. So he arrested her in the end. Mm -hmm. And so it had, when I was seeing it on TV, it had gone to a court case. And curiously enough, the judge dismissed the case because he said it could not be proved that the woman in court was the woman that he apprehended because she'd never shown her face. Interesting. But I believe <laughs> that that will not happen again because it was a salutary lesson to law enforcement well, that you course. can't let someone get away with it. Yeah. So it, the issue there had absolutely nothing on the part of the law enforcement to do with religion, and they were not trying to be disrespectful. But there's a point of, of, of nonsense, I think, with, with religious dress and religious behavior. And, you know, you and I are vegetarians as Seventh-day Adventists. Mm -hmm, yes. But I think uh, Paul says himself in, in the Gospels, he says, ask no questions for conscience sake. Mm -hmm. If, you know, your life were on, on the limit... Are you going to eat an unclean meat or, or die for, for not eating it? I think not, because the purpose of it is not an absolute. Mm -hmm. It's it's a requirement to honor God as, as best you can and sustain life and yeah. so on. Yeah. And the burqa, again, modesty, is you, you got to the point of it. It's modesty. But if in the pursuit of modesty they will defy law, they will enable mm -hmm. uh, illegal and even violent activities, mm -hmm. I think you had to look at the balancing point. So to answer it without appearing prejudiced to, to Muslims, as a general principle, we, will, we would have to defend the right of people to wear the burqa. As a practical matter in these particular circumstances, I think it, it's, it's just uh, inflammatory to, to uh, people of other faith as well as to the due diligence of the practice of law to insist that it never be taken off. It's getting in the way of the normal things that normal societies must do today. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes good sense to me.
Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, is our guest today. I'm Charles Mills. We're talking about some of the issues that are highlighted right now on www.libertymagazine.org. And listener, I recommend that you stop by and uh, give that website a look because I think you'll find many wonderful uh, pieces of information that you need as you yourself go through your own battle against uh, religious intolerance. Okay, uh, talking about bands, there's a band of a very different nature uh, in San Francisco that's on the November ballot. Tell us about that band and what your thoughts are on it. Well, I, I don't know about the November ballot in, in great detail, mm-hmm. uh, but we have an article coming out uh, in Liberty Magazine about the ongoing uh, move in San Francisco and uh, I'm trying to think another U.S. city uh, where they, they have tried to ban uh, circumcision. <laughs> Okay. From our perspective, we go like, why? But, you know, if you're a Jew, and if you are an Orthodox Jew, and you believe in what God tells you as an Orthodox Jew, this is a real issue for you, and it is a religious issue, right? Absolutely. The Bible is quite plain on this, and as as I understand it, Muslims also uh, understand the issue of circumcision. So this has a a long and unquestioned religious tradition, and, and I do believe that the San Francisco uh, move is, is nothing but religious prejudice. There's not really uh, a, a very good logical civil reason for insisting on this. But it's part of a pattern uh, that pops up now and then. It's very prejudicial in nature about dietary uh, requirements of certain uh, faiths. And, and, of course, we've had to battle it through in prisons. Jews with uh, kosher meals and, and Muslims want halal. Mm-hmm. People that don't like that say that this is unfair, why should they have special treatment and all the rest, da da da, da. But uh, we shouldn't allow prejudice like that to gain a footing. And I, I think it's significant in San Francisco, which is rather not just hedonistic, but in many ways, because of that hedonism, yes. opposed to religion. It doesn't like moral constraints that right. they sort of lash out. Yeah. So that's what I read into that law there. Well, very quickly, we have just a minute and a half or so left here. Uh, official Sunday day of rest. Uh, would this? Well, this it, is a big and developing big, story. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> just give us a little, little foundation in which we can be thinking until we talk about it next time. Well, when the Seventh Day Adventist Church began, even in the United States, there were severe or very serious uh, efforts made to bring in uh, legislation to call Sunday a, a formal day of rest for mm-hmm. religious worship. Mm-hmm. Those were defeated and probably could not get through now. But what we're seeing is a resurgence on efforts to set aside Sunday by people of faith, but this time around they're using the argument that it should be a day of family rest and regeneration uh, from the work cycle within the wake of the economic collapse. We shouldn't be just money-oriented. We should look to larger social values, and it's certainly good to bring a family together. There's nothing wrong with that part of the argument, but it clearly is being used as a subterfuge to advance uh, uh, legal sacredness or legal uh, Mm -hmm. enforcement of a day that is held sacred by uh, uh, most Protestants, not Seventh-day Adventists, certainly not Jews who are not Protestants, Mm -hmm. uh, but Protestants and Catholics. Uh, So we we object to this because this is legislating religious morality undercover. Okay, well, Lincoln, Steve, uh, we have had a good discussion today about some of the topics. Plenty to talk about, always. And, and please, go to the website. Yep, that's www.libertymagazine.org. Check it out. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Lincoln Steed, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. 
You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.LibertyMagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today.